Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and my podcast is brought to you by my company. We publish software tools and books that help people communicate more effectively in the workplace, and you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. I am so excited to welcome as my guest today, someone who I consider a great friend, and she's also an expert in a really important topic that's quite relevant for all of us today, and that is burnout. And I want to welcome Janice Litvin. Janice, so glad to have you with me today. Thank you so much, Meredith. I'm really happy to be here. Well, before we get into all the questions I have based on your wonderful book, I want to give a more formal introduction so folks can learn more about you. Janice is on a mission to help leaders and teams banish burnout in their organizations. And she does this through keynotes, workshops, and accountability groups. And that includes teaching them to manage stress, to prevent burnout, to eat healthfully, and to fall in love with fitness so that she's helping lots and lots of people learn to take care of their physical and mental health. She's the author of the Banish Burnout Toolkit, and we're going to take a deep dive into that book today. Um, Janice, though, first, I really want you to tell my listeners a little bit about your journey to the work that you're doing today, because where you are today is very different from where you started out. That's very true. Very true, Meredith. Well, I don't know how far back you want to go, but let me start from the recent past. So during the 08 recession, everyone will remember that, I had been doing technology recruiting for many years and loved the work, but I was ready for a change and there was no work because we had a recession. So what do you do when you have nothing to do? You go to the gym. So I would drop my son off at school every day and go straight to the gym. And there I found Zumba Fitness and became a Zumba instructor, which I'm still doing today on Zoom. And then after a couple of years, I thought, you know, I want to go deeper and I want a new mental challenge. So I went back to school as my mother did many years ago and studied exercise science, physiology, anatomy, psychology, and nutrition. The psychology is what I really connected to. Hmm. So I found the world of workplace wellness and began doing workshops on fitness and healthy eating primarily because that was my background. And one day a client called me up several years ago and said, we want you to do a workshop on stress, but we want you to go deeper. And I said, I can go really deep. I don't know how deep you want me to go, but I had some books on a specific area of psychology known as cognitive behavior therapy. And so I had three weeks notice and I developed this workshop, a one hour workshop for a worldwide employee development day and delivered it. It was very successful. Everyone seemed to love it and resonate with it. So I, and I called it Banish Burnout. And so I went along doing this particular workshop and, and never looked back. I really love this work. Well, I want to ask you, because I know in your book, you had talked about what you teach really is 
based on cognitive behavior therapy. For Mm -hmm. folks who aren't familiar with that, what does that really mean? What is that approach? Premise is that anyone can change their behavior from the inside out. And And I'll say, I'll give a proviso before I say anyone. If someone has Uh, chemical imbalances in their brain, and they're under the care of a psychiatrist, then they can't snap their fingers and change their behavior because there's a physiological thing going on in their brain. Everybody else can change their behavior. And so if you catch yourself overreacting at work or letting things really bother you for a long time, like many days instead of like one day. I mean, things happen, but how long should we stress about them? And so if you catch yourself letting things bother you for a long time, that's an indicator that you might want to change. And so what we do is we look at typical stress reactions and we reality spin them. And so it's about changing who you are from the inside out. Reality spin. That was a term that I had not heard or read before. And I was fascinated with that. So talk about the context. And what does that really mean? What are you talking about people doing when they do a reality spin? Well, that's so funny that you haven't heard that because out here in California, (laughs) that's been a common phrase for many years. And so it's a bit of a slang, but it really communicates the point. It's interesting to me that on the East Coast, you hadn't heard that term. But really what it is, is Let me give you an example. Let's say you're in a meeting and you're trying, as a group, you're trying to solve a problem and somebody decides to be rude, who knows why? And they say, oh no, that won't work. We don't do things like that. The person's gonna have a reaction. We're human beings, but hopefully at work, you're not going to argue and start a big fight. You're gonna let it go for the moment. If you're paying attention, your body will tell you that you're upset. You'll get knots in your stomach, elevated heart rate, sweat. There's all kinds of physiological reactions. And if you're paying attention, your body will still be reacting hours later. And so you need to look at how you felt and how you reacted. And I do that through the tool in tool number one, which is the stress audit. And And we take it to, like I said, how long you let the reaction go on. I used to get really, really upset, take things way too personally and stay upset for five days and then complain to everybody. Finally, I learned that that wasn't doing me any good, even though there was a relief by calling a friend, but dwelling in the negativity, it made me relive the negativity every time I told the story. And I realized that maybe I need to look inside myself and see if I could shorten and change that span so I could be more aware and a a happier version of myself. So it's about reframing your reaction and not letting things bother you for so many days and not getting so extremely upset. Mm -hmm. You know, behavior, I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, no. Behavior like that, in my case, and in many cases, comes from role modeling. So I had a mother who, at first I'll say I loved her very much. She was extremely intelligent, taught me many things, but she role modeled this negative behavior that I'm talking about that I grew up with. And I found out, this is a fun story. I found out by going to a family reunion with her on the East Coast where she grew up one day when she was being really negative about some of the cousins and why, why they were talking and she wasn't included. And she, she made these really negative comments. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's me. 
And I realized, even though I should have known better with all the psychology background I had, I realized in that moment that I had inherited her pattern of behavior because that's what was role model to me. And I didn't know any different. And so that day, that's a true story I tell in a lot of my talks. And that happened about eight or 10 years ago. And from that day forward, I started on this quest to become a happier version of myself and, you know, do the work that I'm doing. You know, one of the key things that you alluded to with that story, and that's such a great story, it it really ties in with your tool number one on awareness. So you are, are paying attention to what's happening and its impact on you. And I think too often we get caught up in the other person, you know, and what they did to us. And without realizing it, we're putting ourselves in this victim mode that means we're helpless. It's kind of hopeless. There's nothing we can do. But one of the things I like about your approach is this becoming aware of stress and how we define it and the fact that it really isn't what's going on out there. It's what's going on inside. So talk about that difference because you and I both know a lot of people who will say, I feel so stressed. You know, there's so much going on and, and yet it's about their response to what's well, going well, on. Well, um, yes. And I give that a yes. And in the, in the tradition of improv, there's different kinds of stress. So there's, what I call institutional or systemic stress. Many, as you know, because of your work, many organizations do not train their leaders in emotional intelligence. I would say most managers get promoted for technical skills, accounting, tech, finance, whatever. And so when there are unreasonable deadlines, an unsupportive boss, too much work, and unfair uh, job assignments, people get stressed. Mm-hmm. Now, like you say, there's something they can do about it. But even if you exercise, meditate, write in your journal and do all the t- tips and techniques I teach, if you come to work on a toxic team, you're going to feel stressed and it's going to be hard. It can be done, but it's going to be very hard not to feel negative if you have a toxic team, and that could be the manager or a teammate that you have to work with every day, or the whole group of them, or the whole organization. Sometimes, sadly, we have to change jobs to remove that. But yes, you can exercise and do all these other techniques and the techniques I teach, but they'll only carry you to a point if it's a toxic work situation. Mm-hmm. Well, let's think about something less toxic, maybe, and just events that happen. Yes. What are some things that someone can do to become aware of when they're feeling stressed? What are some of the symptoms that they, you know, can become tuned into? And what's a response to look at going within to, to manage themselves? Well, the first part of your question is how can they tune in? Some of the indicators that you might be too stressed are problems sleeping, problems eating or overeating, snapping at people. If you catch yourself snapping at people and you know it's really about something else, then you're too stressed. And of course, with the pandemic, we all got too stressed, but separating ourselves from that for a moment. 
so those are some of the indicators. Avoiding work, avoiding phone calls or avoiding emails, isolating, emotionally isolating, or just feeling emotionally exhausted. Those are all signs that stress is getting too extreme. And then I think the other part of your question was, how, what can we do about it? So as you alluded to, the first chapter or the first tool in my toolkit starts with a tool called STOP, which is stop, take a deep breath, observe, and proceed. Stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. So what that does is, is it helps you catch the thoughts. So negative behavior and habits start with thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a quick story to illustrate this point. I love telling this story. I was in the, a large, large, large grocery store. I was at a short period of time. I was buying a gift for my son's girlfriend at the time. And she liked a certain kind of gift card. Well, this huge store had like four or I don't know, two to four aisles of gift cards. And you know, there's these little squares. And so there must have been, I don't know, 300 gift cards. I couldn't find the darn gift card. And I had actually called because I knew I was going to be tight on time. And so I can't find it and I can't find it. And I start getting really angry, really angry. Like, oh my gosh, these people are so stupid. Why did they tell me they have this gift card? They don't have the gift card. I'm going to let them know how I feel. Now I'm going to kill a bunch of time walking all the way to the front of the store to find someone to help me. And I, and this was after I begun, I had begun to do this work called Banish Burnout. And so I said to myself, on my way, stop trudging to the front of the store. Wait a minute, stop, breathe. What are you doing? Is anybody in the hospital? Does anybody have two broken legs? What is such a big deal about this situation? What, so what if you're five or 10 minutes late? It doesn't matter. Why are you letting this situation bother you? And then I started to point the virtual finger in my head. And I said, now I want you to go to the front of the store and I want you to put a big smile on your face and say to the helper, would you please help me? I can't find this gift card. So that's stop in action, taking a little scenario and twisting it on its heels and changing emotional directions. Mm. That's the way we begin to heal. And it doesn't come quickly at first. But eventually it starts to come sooner and sooner and sooner. Now, we're all human and we all have reactions. Like I said, during the COVID, we all were a little bit off kilter. And one day I snapped at my husband and I know better. You know, I know very well not to snap at other people that are making stupid comments. And so I went in my room, so to speak. I went into another room, closed the door and closed my eyes and I realized how upsetting I was feeling over not being able to spend time with friends. And so then, of course, I had to go back and apologize for being so mean. And um, so it can happen to any of us. As aware as I am of my emotions, I can still overreact. I'm human. But it's how do you recover? How quickly can you catch yourself and change emotional gears and recover? Mm -hmm. You know, that's such a key point. And it goes back to at least being aware that there's an alternative way of being, right? Yes. And so that, so we don't want to try to get it perfect because it takes practice. And it's like shortening the time, as you said, from the incident to our reaction and to our realization of what we've done so that we respond 
maybe more appropriately. You know, you've mentioned COVID too a number of times, Janice, and I'm just curious, what have you found has been necessary to do differently in the way, especially maybe with self-care? What are some of the things that you're recommending to people who may not have thought about what do I need to do to take care of myself because they're so busy taking care of other people? Well, that's a big question. And, and you, 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 you don't realize that you brought up another big topic, which I'll save for later. So, you know, it's funny. I did include a self-care chapter in this book. And when my editor first said, you have to have a chapter on self-care, everybody has a chapter on self-care. And I'm like, I don't care. Everybody knows what self-care is. Now, looking back, so my book came out about a year ago. Now, looking back, I realized that Yes, we know what generic self-care is, number one. Number two, most people don't take care of themselves because, like you said, they're busy taking care of other people, especially if they work and have a family. But there are some unusual parts of self-care that a lot of people don't think of. For example, going outside for 10 minutes a day, even in bad weather. Well, now, if it's a storming rainstorm or a snowstorm, I don't recommend you go sit outside. Although it is good to get out and get some fresh air and, you know, use your, your super weather clothing. But if you can get outside 10 minutes a day, as soon as you walk outside, vitamin D is activated by the sun. Even if it's not a bright, sunny day, it still comes through. And it instantly puts you in a better mood. Because dopamine is released, endorphins, all kinds of uh, happiness chemicals are released. So I talk a lot about getting outside. It makes you more clear, more sharp, more creative. There's a lot that happens if you can get some time in the sun. If not, can you sit near a big window with the blinds open? You, that, that's even helpful. I, I've even read that if you're getting ready to go on vacation to a destination like Hawaii or Arizona or Southern California, if you can put a picture on your screensaver or your bulletin board of that destination, that can actually release happiness chemicals Mm. because your mind is already focused on this happy, your happy place. Mm -hmm. So getting outside is one of my big number one ideas. That's great. And, you know, it's true. I'm an avid bird watcher and love getting out with nature. And, you know, whether we see a lot of birds or not, just getting outside, like you say, has a restorative um, effect that um, it really does feel good no matter what the temperature may be. Uh, Because in Virginia, we have a little bit more variation, I think, than you do in California. Well, you know... Go I'm ahead. sorry. The other, I was going to add one more little tiny point sure. that a lot of people don't think about. When you get outside, especially if you can think about a beautiful place or you're going to a beautiful place and people see beauty in different ways, like you say, you love seeing birds, the awe that you experience from going to a beautiful place or even watching a movie where there's some beautiful, beautiful scenery makes you feel happier. So the awe, there's been research that shows that experiencing awe in beauty in nature can make us happier. Mm, That's great. Well, I'm curious too, you don't cover this in the book, but you were mentioning it, uh, the role of music. 
How does music play into banishing burnout? Well, that's such a big topic, and I'm starting to dive in. Just today, I watched a YouTube by a gentleman named Dr. David Greenberg, who is a, I believe, I believe he's a neuroscientist, and he did a TEDx talk about the role of music. For, and there's so many facets to this. I could talk about this for an hour. I, I did write a blog about it uh, about a year ago, but now I'm going to go back and update it because I learned more about it from him. So not only does music heal the soul, if you can go to a concert or even in your own home, if you listen to really, really beautiful music, whatever music you like, whether it's rap, rock and roll, classical, if you love it, that's all that matters. And if you can listen to some music that you haven't heard in a long time that you really love, or you hear a new song that sparks your interest and you love that, that will begin to release dopamine. And that actually, you can feel, if you stop and close your eyes and think about it, you, you can actually feel the vibrations physically and emotionally and if you can really focus on that music, and it also sparks creativity. So have you ever been to a concert? And if you like classical, I'll use that example. I went to a classical concert one day. Someone gave me, wasn't going to use her box seats. And I'm like, okay, at the San Francisco Symphony. And I had to write a speech for a meeting I was chairing as the hostess. I had to write an opening speech. And I grabbed my husband and I said, I need, I need a pen and a piece of paper. Suddenly, all these thoughts were flooding through my brain. And during the intermission, I actually wrote out the entire speech. So something happens that sparks your creativity from the music. Now, in, in addition to all of that, what Dr. David Greenberg was talking about today was how music can bring differing groups of people together. Mm. So, for example, in the Middle East and Israel, where I'm sure you're aware, there's all kinds of strife between different groups of people. There's a group called the Jerusalem Youth Chorus that has Palestinian and Israeli children singing together and sharing the love through the music and not worrying about any other differences in their world. And if you can think back to childhood where you had friends that maybe were a different religion or a different skin color or something very different about the upbringing. Children don't care about all that. All they care about is having fun and being together. And that's what music can also do. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So do you get any reason, you may not have used it yet, but I'm just curious if you would anticipate getting any resistance from say managers where you might be doing your workshop for them, any resistance about incorporating music into your workshop? Not no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I did a talk at a conference just a couple of weeks ago. And at the end, I had every single person standing and dancing and respond, calling and responding to some of the key, to get them to remember the key points of my talk. And I was so surprised when I said, I want everybody to get up. Usually people are like kind of looking around and waiting for somebody to get up. They all popped up. I, I was so surprised. And I realized that, first of all, people sit too much, which we could talk about all day. But the other thing is people were inspired. And I put on a song 
that happy song by Pharrell Williams. It has such a fun beat and it's such a happy song. And I got people, I said, the only rule is you don't accidentally hit somebody in the face next to you because they were sitting uh, closely with their masks on and they loved it. They ate it up. And I, I was happily surprised at how much they loved it. You know, hearing you describe that <clears throat> reminds me one of the key things that I think can also prevent burnout. And you tell me the role because you're the expert at this. It's just the idea of making a workplace more fun yes. and not quite so serious and intense. And so I want you to talk about that. What thinking about managers, people who are in leadership role, where they have this group of people, it's important for them to not be overly stressed, to not be on the verge of burnout. What are some things that they can do to lighten things up so that people aren't feeling so oppressed and overwhelmed? It remind me of a job where I did have an oppressive boss many, many years ago where my coworker and I would sit and tell jokes and laugh every now and then. And the boss would come out like, what are you guys doing? So, so I've, and now that I have the science to back it up, I know how important it is. So there's so many, so many things people can do to lighten up their workplace. First of all, when you have a meeting, whether it's a Zoom meeting or in person, ask people to go around the room and talk about the best thing that happened the day before or that morning, or ask people to talk about the best thing, the funniest thing their child said, or does anybody have a joke or what is something somebody else did for someone else that you're aware of? So, because so you don't want people to feel uncomfortable bragging about themselves, but get them bragging about other people. Oh, uh, Joe, I heard Joe Smith uh, spent extra time after work the other day helping Sue um, walk to her car and carried all her books because it was rainier, whatever it is. Or uh, Jan brought uh, this great food in today and we're all going to have lunch together. We want everybody to join in. And, and so little tiny sparkles of happiness can be sprinkled throughout the day. You can start a meeting with um, dancing for 60 seconds or breathing for 60 seconds or just closing our eyes for 60 seconds. It doesn't have to take up a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. And it can build trust. The other thing is, if managers would start talking to their people about non-business matters, how was Billy's soccer game over the weekend? I know your mother-in-law, uh, Susan, knowing their name, I know your mother-in-law, Susan, who lives with you, uh, broke her, uh, sprained her ankle over the weekend. How's that going? Or um, what was your favorite Netflix movie that you watched this weekend? Or what book are you reading? Something non-technical and non-work related is how people bond. And people want, we're human creatures, as I keep saying, we want to bond socially. It releases oxytocin. And that's the way to get people really connected to you and want wanting to work for you so that when you have those moments of extra work where people are going to have to chip in and work extra hours for like a month or whatever, <clears throat> they will be motivated because they care about you because you show that you care about them. Mm -hmm. It's that, you know, Stephen Covey talked about that years ago, you know, making deposits into the emotional bank account. Yes. And I think, do you run into resistance from, because I know you've worked with a lot of technical leaders do you find any resistance to them saying, why should I take time for that? 
You know, at first they do, but once I show them the evidence of how much more cohesive their teams are and the science that shows that they'll be more productive and more creative with problem solving and they'll get along better, then they realize the benefits. Mm -hmm. Because technical teams have a lot of strife. As a person who was a techie, I was a software developer, software trainer, software QA, and people are always jockeying for position. My technical solution is the best. And people will fight, especially because we have such a huge cross-cultural population, certainly in California and many other parts of the country, I'm sure on the East Coast too. And so people come to work with different upbringing and different cultural role modeling, as I described with my own mother. And so there, there can be a lot of comp- built-in competition. Mm-hmm. And so just imagine making people like each other by spending time together and getting to know each other personally so that they can be more cohesive on their team. That's <laughs> such, a, such an important point. And one of the things that I really liked you had at the end, of course, you know, we have our book on peer coaching. You talk about having an accountability buddy. And so I think that really is valuable. And especially in the context of what you've just been talking about, explain what you mean by this accountability buddy. What does that look like and, and how does it work and why is it valuable? Well, it's valuable for every reason you can imagine. As I keep talking about social connections, there's a a built-in obvious social connection. It can be a peer-to-peer relationship, or it could be more of a mentor-mentee relationship. It can be about somebody to celebrate wins with, somebody to challenge you to get outside and exercise more. It could be a, a career mentor within an organization to help guide people, especially women, with how to navigate their way through the corporate jungle, I'll say. And so the relationship can take on many forms. It can be a one-time visit. It could be a six-month relationship or a four-week relationship. I really recommend that people have a list of two or three people to ask because one person might already have people they're working with or they might just be swamped at work. And so I recommend that people be really clear with their expectations of what they want to accomplish and communicate that clearly in an email or however they're going to approach the person and then say, I only think we need uh, two visits for an hour or four visits for an hour or six months every other week for 30 minutes, something where you're not being too demanding on the other person. Mm -hmm. And, And people love helping other people. It's always kind of fearful to ask someone for help. But in reality, they love helping other people. And so what is the overall goal or the benefit of of working with somebody like that? It depends on what the person's needs are. So if, if if a person, let's say somebody is trying to vie for a promotion and they don't quite know how to get there, so to speak, and they could be connected to a woman or a man in another part of the organization that can, that's been around longer, either been in the organization longer or just been more senior to them and help guide them. I mean, CEOs have accountability partners. We just don't know about it because they're in other organizations and high level leaders have mentors. They have mentor groups. It's the individual contributors that need to learn that it's okay to get mentors. Now, a first line manager should be a mentor. But as you know, 
first line managers aren't always haven't always been coached. They might've been promoted for technical skills and they might not be as emotionally intelligent as we hope. And so it's important to find yourself a mentor either within the team or somebody else in the organization and ask for whatever it is you need help with. Maybe it's how to navigate the organization to get things done, you know, dotted line through different departments. It Mm -hmm. could be, like I said, career questions. It could be, um, how to do something that you've been challenged to do and you're not quite sure where to start. And you might be afraid to ask your boss because you don't want to appear like you don't know what you're doing. So ask someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of the things you're talking about to me really um, get at this thing of preventative for burnout. You know, how do you keep from getting in that situation where you feel so stressed? You just feel like I can't take it anymore. Another area that you cover that I think is so important in your book is this whole thing of emotional baggage. And so talk about how you, you know, see that and define that because we all have it, but what is, what is that from your perspective and how does that, you know, contribute to the danger zone for potential burnout. Very dangerous. It's very dangerous. So it is my contention that most people walking around the workplace, whether it's a big corporation or a small organization with unresolved emotional baggage. For example, my husband worked for a startup for a few years, for about a year. And it was very tiny company. It started out with 12 people and he was, um, he was given the challenge of hiring a number of people, very techy, you know, cutting edge technology. And the CTO would regularly scream at people. And when he was angry and I, and I, to me, that's somebody who with unresolved emotional baggage or someone allowed him to scream. He had parents that didn't bring him up with the proper mental health. And I told my husband one day, you know, it's okay to go into him and say, I can see why you're upset but it's not okay to scream at me. Only my father screamed at me when I was doing something wrong, but you're not my father. You cannot scream at me. And unfortunately he never did. He ended up leaving the organization. So when people are, have erratic behavior, like for example, screaming is one simple example, but let's say you do work with somebody who doesn't normally have outbreaks like that. And one day they overreact to something. You can tell something's bothering them. If their reaction doesn't fit the situation, mm-hmm. they're hanging on to something that's bother them, bothering them, or they have unresolved emotional baggage and they need to look at it. Now, that's a tricky situation for a coworker to say, I think you have some unresolved emotional baggage and I want you to read chapter three of this book I know about, you know, that, or, or go to a therapist. That's tricky. But the best thing you can do is look at the person and say, is everything okay? Do you need help with something? You know what? I can see something's bothering you. Mm-hmm. You know, are you okay? Uh, especially if a manager, a manager is really, it's important for them to take someone aside when they see that erratic behavior. Well, yes, because if that is permitted to happen and go on and yes. it's never addressed, then it's what what's the reason to change it? I like your question there. The one that came to my mind as I was listening to you for that scenario is simply to say, hey, what's going on? You know, you're not, you're not yourself today. You're, 
what what you're saying, how you responded to this is not what you typically would do. And so I think it really what we're talking about, Janice, is offering an invitation for someone to be able to stop using your your STOP, you know, with guidance from someone else. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when we're caught up in it, that seems like reality. Our perception at that moment is messed up because maybe something happened earlier in the day or earlier in our lives. And we can't see how our response, as you said, is totally out of whack in relation to the situation that we're encountering. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The whole point is that we all want to get along better. And here's a little tagline I made up one day, a happy employee or a happy group of employees makes a healthy company because when employees are happy, they'll go the extra mile and it will impact the bottom line because the productivity will be more effective and higher. Absolutely. Janice, there's so much more we could talk about. We've kind of come to an end of our our time that's available. So I would love for you to just think about what have I not asked you about that would be a really good insight or tip that my listeners could take and, and use to help them not just, you know, banish burnout, but prevent ever getting to that point in the first place so that they can live, as you say, a happier, healthier life. Well, I like managers to, and leaders to show their employees that they care. And we've talked a lot about how it helps the organization. I do want to point out that it's the right thing to do. Treat others the way you wish to be treated. I often say to a leader, treat your employees the way you would treat your children. You know, now some people are not very good parents, so you have to be careful for that. But treating people, the golden rule, treating people the way you wish to be treated, it's the right way to behave at work. You want people to work a certain way. You've got to show them that you care about them and you have to earn their respect and trust. You don't get, I used to tell my father this all the time. You don't get respect just because you're the leader. You earn the respect because you've gone out of your way emotionally and opened yourself up to the other people so that they can feel they care about you. Mm-hmm. So huge. When you think of, of mental health mm-hmm. men- versus mental illness and what contributes, it's that feeling of belonging that you've really been emphasizing throughout the feeling of being cared about and cared for. Yes. So, so important. So the book is banish burnout toolkit. Janice, tell people how they can connect with you, get a copy of your book and learn more about the services you provide. Thank you so much for asking. So my website is JaniceLitvin.com. I'm sure it will be in the show notes and you can see my name in the bottom corner. JaniceLitvin.com. The book is on the book page. The media is on the media page. The testimonials are on the testimonials page. And the speaking information is on the speaking page. So um, there's a lot of information out there. I do all-day workshops. I've done an 18-minute TED type of presentation. I often do one hour presentations, 90 minutes. It can take any form. Great. Well, I highly recommend your book. I thought it was excellent the way you structured it and, and how practical and useful it is. The word toolkit really is 
a, a good word to have in your title because it's it's something people can use. You provide some wonderful tools. Janice, thank you so much for who you are and the work that you're doing to help everyone in an organization live a happier, more fulfilled life. I appreciate you. you. Thank you. I appreciate you too, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the work you're doing as well. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.